Okay, church, we're going to be in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 3. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James, and uh, the overhead's going to be in uh, the ESV. <clears throat> in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. <clears throat> now John himself was clothed in a camel's hair, in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw the many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of these trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by, by him. <clears throat> and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now, for, those, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he followed, allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, thankfully in, of heart uh, for this privilege to worship you, uh, Lord, and we just pray for those that aren't able to come today, Lord, that you would bless them um, through YouTube or whatever other venue that they are uh, looking at or media. And we just pray that you would anoint Jackie's message this morning as he, uh, as he puts forth your word, Lord, that our hearts would be opened, our ears would be opened, and we would be receptive to what you have for our lives, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the little ones are free. <laughs> See you guys. Sure is nice having you all in here singing with us. Well, as we take a look at <clears throat> Matthew chapter 3, and as I was um, going through the, the week's preparation, getting ready, it was kind of amazing when you stop and think about the world, what the world looked like then. We have this thing we do, right? Where, I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't include you guys in my thing. Uh, I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, surely this world is worse than it has ever been before today. And then something will happen by afternoon and I'll say, hope we haven't got to the bottom yet. And I think, you know, there's a sense in which that has been the common view of people in their world. Now, worse or better, those are all degrees that, that we uh, ascribe to the event. But the reality is, man has been wicked for a long time. He didn't just start becoming wicked. And, uh, and we can see it in this time. It says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days, that's how it starts, in those days. So... I wanted to know what kind of days they were. So I just flipped over to the Gospel of Luke. Luke gives us a good historical view. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, this was the days. 
It says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. Aren't you glad you didn't have to read that today, Jerry? During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This was the days. Now, maybe we, we can't put it all together. So the world was pretty chopped up in terms of leadership and responsibility in Judea in those days. Tiberius was ruling. It was his 15th year that he was ruling. He, he started two years before Augustus died. Because Augustus was getting older. And sometimes in the ancient world, this is why sometimes when you try to match up years, like how long someone was king with when the other king died, maybe you haven't discovered that. But sometimes the years don't want to match up. Because they would do co-regencies. Another king would come on for the last couple of years to kind of get under his belt the way things are, are running, how things are supposed to go. And so they could maintain. So Tiberius Caesar, he's... He's in the 15th year of his reign. Pontius Pilate, he's the governor in Judea. Herod Antipas, he's ruling from, uh, in Galilee from Tiberias. Then Herod's brother, he's ruling uh, east of the Jordan River from Caesarea Philippi. And Lysanias is ruling northwest of Damascus in a place called Abilene. And you say, oh, I don't understand any of that stuff. Well, that whole realm is not very big. And there are five leaders. Now, how well do our politicians get along? So you've not only got to worry about Tiberius Caesar, then what Pontius Pilate wants, then what Herod wants, then what the other Herod wants, then what Lysanias wants, depending. and you could literally walk through each of those things in a week. So... They couldn't take the taxi. In a taxi, you could do it faster. But walking, you, in a week, you could go through all those territories and have five different leaders with five different goals and five different ideas about how you should do stuff, five different taxes to pay, and five different... So it was a bit of a confusing time. Their politics were so chopped up. The world in that day was really looking for a leader who could put it all together. Does that sound familiar? Somebody that could put all the pieces together. Well, not only was it chopped up politically, it was chopped up religiously. There was a lot of religious obstacles. You had these two guys, Annas and Caiaphas. You're going to hear their names used over and over again because they are... Annas was the high priest. Let's start there. Annas was the high priest. It says he had five sons and one son-in-law. His son-in-law's name was Caiaphas. He ruled as high priest from 6 AD to 15 AD. And then Rome said, we don't like you. So they took him out. Biblically, how long is a high priest supposed to rule? Till he dies. But these high priests are guys who are put in for political power. Now, I'm sure it boggles your mind that there would ever be a religious figure who would strive for political power. But in this case, we have two, Annas and Caiaphas. So they take Annas out, they put Caiaphas in. Now, when Jesus is arrested later on, we're going to see Jesus be arrested and he's going to be getting questioned by Annas because the reality is, as far as everybody else was concerned, he was still the mob boss. But Caiaphas was the face. So Caiaphas is going to basically do what Annas once done anyways. So you have this level of, of religious opposition because the religious Leadership was vying for political power because the world was so divided. Rome and Herod, neither one of them should be ruling, right? You know, Herod's not of the line of David, right? He's, he's an Edomite, so he's not supposed to be king, but somehow not only is he king, there's two of them because that's not confusing at all. 
So the world was a little bit twisted and messed up. And the Bible tells us that, that there we read there in Luke uh, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to John. Now, I want you to kind of hold on to that idea. That's not the first time God spoke in 400 years. Do you know when the first time God spoke for 400 years was? God hadn't had a prophet. Remember, we talked about 400 silent years. There's 400 years, meaning there's 400 years where the Lord didn't have a prophet. There was no prophet for 400 years saying, thus saith the Lord. John's dad was part of the 24 courses of the priesthood. And he's, he's in the, the temple offering the evening sacrifice. And an angel spoke to him. See, he and his wife, they, they had no children. And so the angel says, hey, you're going to have a child. Now the Bible tells us, Zechariah struggled with believing the word, right? Hey, we're old. Um, I'm not sure, Mr. Angel, you know what you're talking about. So they didn't believe what was being told them. So the angel said, well, I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to speak until your child is born. Do you think about that? The first time God spoke in 400 years, he speaks to a priest in the temple, and then he makes him dumb so he can't tell anybody. So here he is, you know, watching his wife is pregnant. She's, she's growing with child. We've read how Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, right? And the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps because he's anointed with the Holy Spirit from birth. And all that while you have the father of the child, John the Baptist, who's going to be the last prophet. And you have him come and, and he can't tell anybody. Because he didn't believe. There's probably something there that's kind of mixed in with all of that. Then the word of the Lord came to John. When John was born, they, they, they said, what will we call his name? Remember, Elizabeth says he's John. And they're like, no, 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 that can't be right. His dad's name is Zacharias. You can't call him John. Right? The firstborn male child's got to be a junior. That's the rule. It's been that rule for thousands of years. So they asked Zacharias, Zacharias, what's his name going to be? So he asked for a, a pad that he could write on. And he said, his name is John. And then God opened up his voice so he could praise the Lord for what he had done. First time... God spoke to his people. Then the time comes for John. And John, he's out in the wilderness. Now you need to understand, John, who is he? His dad was a priest. So we're going to talk about John meeting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Just so you know, they all knew him. This is not a giant world where there's just millions of priests, and so, you know, oh, I never knew you were part of the priesthood. Oh, no, they knew. They knew the story of Zacharias. They knew the story of John. But John probably was a little bit of a disappointment because at 25, he didn't take the role of priest. He took on the mantle of prophet. He took on the mantle that God had for him. And what did he preach? Look at verse 2, Matthew 3. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I know sometimes we think that that message has changed. But if you'll study scripture, you'll note that's going to be pretty consistent throughout the word. It says in Matthew 4, verse 17, this was a message Jesus preached. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see in Acts 2, when Peter begins the first message, right? On the day of Pentecost, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in Acts 17, 
verse 30, Paul said this, The times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands, what's that next word? See, that word is a bit of a mess for most of us. How many people's included in all? It's not as complicated as we want to make it. Paul preached there in the Areopagus. He commands God. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent and believe. Now here you have the crier, a cry in the wilderness. It says in verse 3, for this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. When he said, this is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, what way is he preparing? He's preparing the people's heart. And one of the incredible things we consider about John the Baptist is he did not do his ministry downtown Jerusalem, where all the people were. He's out in the desert 20 miles. Again, no taxi. If you've ever rode a donkey, you would not ride it 20 miles. People had to walk 20 miles out into the Judean wilderness to a place today called Kasir al-Yahudum. That's easy for you to say. It means the way of the Jews. Why is that significant? Well, it's the place where the children of Israel crossed into the promised land. John the Baptist went out there. Traditionally, he went out to where the children of Israel, remember the story, the priests put their feet in the water, the water stopped up. Still there today. Not very many people go to that site. You know why? Because it's in the middle of the desert. They built a coffee shop. So now there's a coffee shop there. You can have coffee while you go to the middle of the desert. But prior to that, you went out. There's no trees. They're not coming walking out of the woods, looking at this beautiful crystal blue water. I'm sure the water was cleaner than it is today. But they walk out to that water, and there is a voice in the wilderness. So people have to come to hear it. But you see, people are starting to spread the word. There's a prophet again. Was that a big deal for Israel? That's a big deal for Israel. So the people come out. What way is he preparing? He's preparing their hearts. Don't miss the message. You see, the message up until this time was, look, if you're a good Jewish boy or girl, you're going to be okay. John was saying, you guys are not okay. That was a big deal to Jewish ears. You guys are not okay. You need to repent. Now, many of them might say, what do I need to repent of? But John's message to them, to prepare their heart so they could see Messiah. You often ask yourself, the question is, why did so few people see? Well, listen, who did see him? Those who knew they were sinners. Because the religious people would say, Jesus, why are you always hanging out with them dirty people? You're down there with the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the guys, the tax collectors, the people, thieves, open thieves. You're not here with the good religious people. Because the good religious people didn't know they needed to Repent. Repent. The word repent just simply means to change your mind. That idea that you think, you know, I'm good, I'm okay, I got this all handled. Repent and believe. Prepare the way for Messiah. Isaiah 40, this is what it said. This is where Matthew's uh, quoting from, a voice. Crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight In the desert, a highway for our God. So you ask yourself, well, why did John the Baptist go to the desert? Why didn't he go to Jerusalem? Because Isaiah said, where? Go to the desert. So they go to the Judean desert. If you're going to go to the Judean desert, you might as well go to the place the children of Israel first entered into the promised land. 
Because the call is prepare your heart to enter into the Messiah. What the promised land was symbolizing all along. Enter into what the Lord has for you. It says, every valley will be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough place is a plain. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you want to see Mashiach Nagid? Repent. First Peter 23, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower grass. And the grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Repent and believe. So this is the message that John brings. Now John's wearing a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and honey. Why does he tell us this? Because it helps to identify him as a prophet. If you look back at the, at the identification of Elijah, you're going to see similar dress. One of the things that marked them, and one of the things that marked the prophets was, he's got a leather belt. Watch out. That's a prophet. And the prophets know how to use a leather belt. You guys know that the prophet, if the prophet showed up at your house, he didn't come to say, you know, you are so wonderful and marvelous. What did the prophet come to do? He come to whoop your backside and get you back in line. His message would be a message of turn back to the Lord, which is a message of repentance. So here, John the Baptist, he's garbed just like they are. And what did Jesus have to say about John? Uh, in John chapter 3, verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and they remained there, and they were baptizing. And John also was baptizing at Aenon near Salim, because their water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. And a discussion arose between John's disciples and a Jew over the purification so they came to John and they said, Rabbi, he who was with you across from the Jordan, whom you bore witness to, he's, he's here baptizing and everybody's going to him. So John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it has been given him from heaven. You should probably just stop and think about that for a minute person cannot have even one thing unless it's been given him by heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices when he hears the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. For he must increase and I must decrease. The prophet came, prepared the hearts of the people, and his ministry was short. I don't know how old John was when he died, but he had the life expectancy of every prophet. If you choose to live your life speaking the truth of God's word, you will come into conflict with the world. If you choose to live your life, believing, walking, and trusting in the word of God, you will come into conflict with the world. Every prophet did. And those who slew the prophets, well, they also came out while John was baptizing the humble herald of the humble king. Out in the desert, calling men to a public confession. It says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan was going out to him. So people were coming, walking 20 miles. 
out into the desert so they could hear the message. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. What's that last three words there? Confessing what? The baptism of repentance. The baptism of repentance. Confessing their sins. It's throughout the scripture. We see it in Mark. We see it in Luke. Same thing over and over and over again. This concept of confessing our sin. Why? You need to. This message for the Jew was revolutionary because he's declaring to them you need to turn from the idea that you are acceptable because of who you are born to. What are the religious leaders going to say? Our father is Abraham. We follow Moses. We're good. What was John's message? Repent. You're not good. Birth does not grant you anything except for life and the opportunity to decide for yourselves where you're going to put your faith. You can trust yourself. You can trust the church. You can trust an ideology. Or you can trust Jesus Christ. Those are not all the same thing. This is the call. So within this baptism that John brings, this call to confess their sins, was this implication, a critique, that Jewish life was not enough. I've, I've been circumcised. I, I read the Old Testament. I memorize Deuteronomy. I've, I've got it all. For some of you guys who have been going through the the Bible in a year. Are you enjoying Leviticus? I love Leviticus. is probably one of my favorite Old Testament books. But um, I bet you have a few questions. Uh, I'll be out there Monday morning at 7. You guys feel free to come say, what was this about? I get a lot of phone calls. Don't be shy. You can call too. But uh, Monday morning, we're, we're, my wife, she gets me every morning long before you guys do. <laughs> So I'm all boned up by the time that, uh, that you give me a call. But they thought, hey, we've, we do all these things. We follow all this. Look at all this. Look at all this ritual that we have for the priesthood. Look at all these things. We're good. Everything's good. We've got it all figured out. Except the last prophet comes to tell the people you're not good. The last prophet comes to tell the people you need to repent so you can see Messiah. And if they didn't repent, what happened? Who is this guy? Why are you teaching with authority? What are you doing? Why are you trying to take away my power? Prepare the way of the Lord. And that way is a path of confession. 1 John 1 9 says, He wants us to confess. Yes? Look, you and I as, as believers, there was a point in time when we turned our eyes to Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when we did, we repented. We're saying, I'm turning away from my life of sin, and I'm turning my life to trust in Christ. And from that, move, from that moment forward, I have repented. I've changed the path I'm on. I'm walking toward Christ, but I still live a life of confession so that he can cleanse me and keep me on track. Confessing before the Lord, being cleansed from all unrighteousness. But look what happens in verse 7. When he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Hey, guys, nice to see you. Man, it's been a long time since the last uh, potluck that we had, you know, the, all the priests getting together. It's good. You guys are looking nice. Yeah. Oh, Tommy there, you put on a little weight, huh? Yeah, I understand. If you had a diet of locusts and honey, you wouldn't have that problem. You don't want to eat as much that way. Nope. What did he say? You brood of vipers. So he looked at what the nation of Israel viewed as the holiest people in the nation. The most pure, the most, the most beautiful, the most 
had it together. They could quote the Bible to you. They could find whatever you were looking for. You could pick some arbitrary name and they could tell you what that arbitrary name was. They're able to do all of these things. And John looked at him and called him a brood of vipers. So knowledge of ritual and, and knowledge of scripture does not save you. You can't, those are, I'm not saying those are bad things by any stretch of the imagination, but it doesn't save you. You're not saved because you can quote the book of Ephesians. You're not saved because you're a human concordance who can tell somebody when they're looking for something in the Bible exactly where it is. You could be a brood of vipers just like these guys. Because it's not your knowledge that saves you. It's your faith. Coming to faith in Christ. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you? Who told you guys to come out here and get your heart right? Now, do you think any of them got in the water? <laughs> I'm thinking not many. I think there was probably a few. You'll see their names later on, right? There's probably a few. But for the most part, no, they're not climbing in the water. They're coming out there like, what are you doing? He says, who warns you to flee the wrath that is to come? Listen, bear fruit in keeping with baptism or in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit of repentance. In other words, if you change your direction, it should be something I can see, right? Because you can tell when somebody turned left, can't you? Or if they turned right, do you know? The idea of repentance is your direction has changed. So if you're here today and you're claiming a relationship with Christ, but nothing in your life has ever changed, your direction has never changed, you are doing the same things today that you did before, no, there's no, no change of direction, then you have not met Jesus Christ. Well, it would be like this. Paul Washer tells about an illustration. He says, let's say you got hit by a truck. And you come in and you tell your friends, hey, guys, I got hit by a truck. And you look at them and go, don't look like you got hit by a truck, man. You look pretty good. I don't see anything different. You're going to question the idea that he got hit by a truck, aren't you? The Bible says that you and I are children of wrath in opposition to God as enemies of God. So when we come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the road we're on changed. Amen? We turned. And there should be indication that we turned. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. The greatest sign to me is not whether or not someone can speak in tongues. The greatest sign to me is if there's a changed life. Did a change come? We can all, well, maybe we can't, but if you wanted to, we could all just rattle off tongues. And that doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. That's easy to fake. It's hard to fake a changed life. Right? It's hard to fake a changed life. We want the Lord to change us. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not about outward conformity. It's not about cleaning up the outside. It's not about having a certain haircut or, you know, if I, it's no different. We always go through these things, right? It's either got to be, you know, short hair and no beard, or here at Calvary Chapel Buell, I don't care what your hair looks like, but you should have a beard. It should be required. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you have on the outside. It does not matter. The outside is, Jesus is going to be asked these questions all the time, right? He's going to come up and they're going to say, how come your disciples don't do this right? And Jesus is going to tell him, Jesus is going to tell him, look, guys, you didn't get dirty by what you did. You were dirty 
before you did it. You have all these guys everybody thinks is holy, but in a few chapters, they're going to be scheming how they can put Jesus to death. Well, they call that murder. And if you're following Moses, it's covered there. Right? It's not about outward conformity. It's about an inward change. It's about a change of heart. Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, for the common people, they're thinking, how can I be more righteous than them? Look at them. Everywhere they go, there's some guy strumming a harp and people singing about their holiness. But why was Jesus saying it? Because their outside was so holy? No. He's going to say, you guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. It means you're unclean on the inside. That leper that Jesus reached over and touched, one of my favorite healings that Jesus does, he could have just spoke to him and said, you're cleansed, but he doesn't. He touches them. Nobody would touch a leper. But Jesus shows them because their mind said, if you touch something unclean, you'll become unclean. Right? So don't touch this, don't touch this, don't walk there, don't walk there. That was part of the concept of the law, right? You have to walk a certain way to keep yourself clean. But Jesus came and said, now let me show you something. What you should have learned was you can't stay unclean. But let me show you. And Jesus, who was clean, touched the most unclean person there. And the person he touched became clean. That changed every, the way they looked at everything. It changed it. Wait a minute. Jesus is able to make me clean? And John came to prepare their hearts that they might see that. It's not about how you look on the outside. Confess the reality of who you are. John writes in Matthew 3, 9, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. John's like, Don't boast that Abraham's your father. If God wants to, he could make these stones children of Abraham. The point is, it's not your hereditary, your, your, what's that right? Hereditary? That's not it. No, thanks, babe. That was a good try. That was a good try. Heritage, that'll work. Yeah, one of you guys give me English. So later on, Jerry Zinn will, will call me about that. Um, the, their heritage, it's not your heritage. It's not, look, I, got, I can draw a line to Abraham. There was only one person in the line of Abraham that mattered. He was called the seed, singular. The seed of Abraham. Who was the seed of Abraham? The seed of Abraham was Jesus. There is only one heritage that mattered, the son of David. Who was the son of David? Jesus, what's the point? There's one that matters. Who's that? Jesus. And if we who are unclean go to him and we allow him to touch us, we will become clean. But if you profess your cleanliness, I'm clean, I don't need to touch him, then you're doomed. So the message is a message that says repent. Do not presume on your heritage or false confidence or your pedigree. John says, repent if you want to see Messiah. Look at verse 10. For even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Now look, we could get into all this stuff about the axe and the root of the trees, but let's just say that's bad. Are we okay with that? If the prophet says to you, you need to repent and you need to get your your life right because you're clean on the outside but your heart is not real and even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. If you want to do a word study on what all those things mean, you might miss the point. It's bad. If you put an axe at the root of the tree, that means the tree's going to, yeah, it's getting chopped down. It's not good. This is bad. So judgment is at hand. There's possibility for judgment. And every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's bad. 
One of the things we need to understand, and we sometimes can get this a little fuzzy in our minds as we, we may drift sometimes a little far Pentecostal, the idea of fire is always an idea of judgment. Right? For our God is a consuming fire. Oh, do I want to be consumed by God? Yes, but I don't want to be burnt up. Right? But sometimes we, we conflate the idea of fire. The idea of fire is the idea of judgment. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. So there are two things. One, you're going to come to Christ and be saved, in which case the Holy Spirit is going to enter into your life, and you will have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Baptized into the, the body of Christ. Or, Jesus is either Savior or Judge. Savior or judge, you get to choose. John chapter 5 says all judgment has been committed to the Son. When the books are opened at the great white throne judgment, the, the thing that matters is whether or not your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, their destiny is the lake of fire. Away from the presence of God. So we want to understand what's the consequences if I think my pedigree is good. Or I think I'm clean on the outside and that's all good. And the, the prophet is saying to those who are the cleanest and look the most holy. Hey, you guys are not okay. The axe is at the root. Be careful. Some of the scariest uh, verses in the Bible are in Matthew chapter 7. Um, in Matthew 7, verse 17, it says, So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Now, if my tree looks good on the outside, but the inside is all bad, what kind of fruit am I going to have? Bad fruit. Bad, I can't make a good tree makes good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. No, not good because you do good things. Good because what's inside you is good. Now, apart from Jesus Christ, what is inside me is I'm a child of wrath at war with God. But when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, what's in me? Jesus is in me, right? The Holy Spirit is in me. So the fruit that I produce will be good, not because of my good deeds, but because of who's inside. Are you with me? So we want to see the treat. The tree that bears good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, cut down, thrown in the fire. Oh, that's what he's just saying right here. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, this is the one I don't like. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of the Father. Now, before I, this, we always have this battle, right, between... Is this an act that I'm accomplishing or something that God is accomplishing? Go back to the picture of the tree. How does the tree bear good fruit? It's not because you're going, oh, I need to make good fruit. That's not what it is. It's because you have Jesus Christ in you. If you have Jesus Christ in you, you bear good fruit, period. You bear good fruit because Jesus Christ is in you. How do you do the will of the Father? It's not any different. Jesus said, I only speak the things the Father Ask me to say, I only do the things the Father gives me to do. So if the energy of your walk, your life is through Jesus Christ, then you will do the will of the Father. I know a lot of times we go, I don't know whether I should move here or move there. Don't worry about that. Just worry about the reality that if Jesus Christ is in you, you are walking in the will of God. Because Jesus always does the things that please the Father. It's not about what I do or think or say. It's about who is in me. If you are sitting on the throne of your life, then be concerned. Because there are those in that day will say, Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So you have to know him. How do I know Jesus Christ? I repent. I make change of direction, right? My life is not headed this way, the, the same Direction that the world says I ought to be it doesn't matter to me anymore. Now my motivation is Christ. I'm going toward him. 
and the scripture tells me that I put my faith and trust in Christ, he puts his Holy Spirit within me. So what comes out of me is spirit. That's, that's how it works. We don't need to, we don't want to overcomplicate it. John would say to these guys, listen, I baptize you with water for repentance, but there's one coming after me who's mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor. This is language of judgment. He's, he's coming. Now, Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world. Why? It's already condemned. I came to save it. So he's going to get rid of the chaff, and he's going to gather up the, the seed. He's going to gather up the fruit. His, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So you have language of salvation and judgment. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one name under heaven by which men must be saved. What's the name? In the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, for at the name of Jesus, how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One name. You're free. You can go one way or the other. You get to choose. So choose life. That's what the word declares. Choose life. Go where God is calling. What is it that John's saying? Listen, Jesus is more powerful than I am. His purpose is to bring the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. And he will purge. He will bring judgment or salvation. It will all hinge on him. He's the hinge pin. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now people ask why all the time. Why is Jesus being baptized? This is a baptism of confession of sin. And Jesus is not, has no sin. So why is he coming to John? Well, let me give you the simple answer. Jesus is authenticating John's ministry. He's authenticating John. Yes, this is the prophet. This is the one who comes. And he is marking a moment, a day. 27 AD. Jesus went down to Kassir al-Yahud, to the way of the Jews out in the middle of the desert to have the witness of the Holy Spirit and of his Father in heaven declare, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. John looked at him and said, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. John's attitude is clear. You are greater than I. But Jesus answered and said, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. You are the voice, the herald of the Son of God. And so the Son of God must come to you to be heralded, which is something John's about to do. It's not about needing to be cleansed or change the path he's on. It's about announcing here he is. To all those who have come out to have their eyes open to see Messiah, that he might fulfill the purpose and identity for which he was given to call out the Christ. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. This is John the Baptist. The Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. This is called the anointing. The anointing. What, what is it symbolizing? What is the purpose of it? Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before? No, he did. What is John seeing? John is seeing what scriptures declare the Mashiach, the anointing. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
He is Messiah. The heavens open, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him and a voice from heaven. The, the Father speaks, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So we see the coming of the Spirit from the heavens. John recognizing, here it is, this is the moment, the proclamation. This is John's moment to declare, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But it's a chapter away still. Because Jesus comes up and the Spirit's going to drive him into the wilderness and we have the temptation, right? And then Jesus comes out of the wilderness, John looks at him sees the Spirit remaining upon him and declares, the Mashiach Nagin, Messiah, the Prince has come. Behold the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This day, this is what this is all about. God selecting before his prophet, showing the prophet Messiah publicly. This was a public public. Uh, 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 anointing. Psalm 45, 7 says, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. There you have the Son being anointed publicly before the people. Jesus is going to read Isaiah 61. One, what does it say? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, the anointing. Acts 10.38 says, Now how, Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is that moment. Does Jesus know who he was before this? Of course he does. When he was 12 years old, he baffled the priests. You remember that, right? Because of his knowledge of the word, because he is God the word. Nobody knows the word better than Jesus does. But this is public before all the people who were doing what? Coming to repent so that they could see Messiah. And so they came and they were all around John. And John's dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees. And here up walks Jesus. This is the day that the Lord has made. And so he has a public anointing. And Messiah begins his ministry moving forward. From here to the cross, proclaiming the truth of who God is, this son of me. That's what God said. Behold my son in English, literally in the Greek, the son of me, the beloved one. Here's what Matthew's done. We're chapter 3, about to go to chapter 4. Here's what Matthew has done. The realization of Messiah's identity. One, son of David. You guys remember that part, right? Son of David. Two, son of Abraham. Three, son of Joseph and Mary. Four, son of God. This is my beloved son. He is now presented before the last prophet. And the last prophet, his ministry is going to decrease now until he's put to death. Because he's at odds with the world. And Jesus' ministry, is it going to put him on a different road? <laughs> no. Because if you walk with God, in obedience to his word, you will always be in conflict with the world. It's not his world yet. It's okay, though. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't have to churn up anything. You must abide in Christ. And he will abide in you, and you will bear good fruit.
Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word, the declaration that we see here in the ministry of John the Baptist, this prophet who has come upon the scene to declare to people it's not about your heritage, it's not about your pedigree, it's not even about the good deeds you can do. It's about turning away from this world of sin and turning to the Messiah. It's about being willing to lay down all of your own pride, all of your own accomplishments, all of the things that you might be able to boast in, as Paul would declare. Paul would look at his past accomplishments in his life, his pedigree, the schools he went to, the things he'd done uh, serving the Sanhedrin. He'd look at all of that and he would say, I count it all dung rubbish, garbage for the excellency of knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have turned from all of that and I turn to Christ. He is my strength and my shield, my exceedingly great reward. He is the one who will empower me. He is the one who will encourage me. And when I stumble and fall, he just calls me to confess my need for him, my failure and my need for him. Lord, forgive me of my sin, trusting in myself. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me the arrogance that I walk in. Forgive me for whatever it is. And teach me to rely on you. You are my king. I serve no king but Jesus Christ. That he would be glorified by the words that proceed from my mouth. That he would be magnified by the things I do. And when my deeds and my words do not line up with Christ then I am called to confess, be forgiven, be washed, rise, and start again. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, as our eternal high priest who lives ever to intercede for us, Equip us, challenge us, renew us, that we might accurately represent who you are as we go throughout this world. When the world sees us, it should see someone different. It should see someone committed to Christ. Should see someone in opposition to the direction of the world. Lord, I pray that you would drive, Lord, your church, that you would get us, Lord God, in the kind of shape that we should be in, that we would look like you, talk like you, be like you we would not be afraid or dismayed for the Lord our God is with us wherever we go and you have promised us the victory for Jesus Christ has won the war is finished the battle may not be over but the victor has been declared so, when we fight, Lord, I pray that we would fight on our knees with our hands lifted high, proclaiming you as the one that directs us and equips us, that we might praise your name in the middle of the storm, the 
the beginning of the storm, at the end of the storm, for who you are. God, be glorified in this place. We love you. God, I pray that you would move in our midst. And Lord, if there be anybody here today that doesn't know you like that, then as the elders and leaders here in the church are available up front for prayer, I pray, God, they would come, be encouraged, be prayed over. God, be glorified in this place in Jesus' name.